We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the week nine expert, quote unquote, roundtable, quote unquote. This is actually the square table, me and the sharpest hippie in DFS, jammed to win. My name is Adam Levitan, the father of the most beautiful beast in the world, Jerry. Uh, we have uh, a slate in week nine that has been turned on its head rapidly. But before we get into that, Jam, what's going on? Not much, man. We were hanging out a little before the show, chatting. Adam seems to be a bit bitter tonight. Adam's always a little bitter, but Adam's a bit more coarse and caustic than normal. So we will see how this show goes. Every, everything good on the home front, Adam? Everything all right? Yeah, uh, I made this mile bet. I don't know if you saw, but I made this this one mile race bet um, running against Bales and Brandon Adams uh, down in Miami during the DK live final. And like, it was just a huge mistake because I'm just tilted because I'm already like, um, you know, really pressed for time during football and like somewhat stressed. And now I have to run and I hate running. And like, 
Uh, I ran two miles three times this week and it was like, like the worst things of my life. I feel so uh, Obviously we had to get to football, but I'm curious now, is this a speed, speed bet? Whoever runs the mile fast? Yeah, all three of us on the track at the same time, whoever wins, wins. That's an excellent uh, bet with some athletic dudes. Yeah, I mean, me and Bales already did this and I won barely, but it, I said I'd never do it again because it was so painful. Um, anyways, nobody cares about that. It's good to see you back on your home base. Last week you were like in a tree, like eating tree bark or something like that. I've had uh, my sins cleansed at the Vatican. I'm back on track, I'm ready to rock, rock and roll. All right, uh, this slate um, has changed dramatically in the last 24 hours. Deshaun Watson, uh, unfortunately, lost for the season with a torn ACL. Ezekiel Elliott's suspension uh, overturned. How much work did you have to redo, and how much work did you put into this slate before uh, everything changed? Uh, I mean, I wrote up all 13 games as I do each week, so I put in – 30 to 35 hours. I'll have to add a bunch of new things tomorrow night to um, account for these changes. I got to work through in my mind first how these go. I don't think that uh, obviously the Deshaun Watson thing changes uh, the slate a ton. I don't think that the Zeke news changes things all that much, except that I'll be interested to get your take on this, but I think it could lower ownership on Dak and Dez just because people felt like they were on them because Zeke was out realistically all the numbers that make Dak and Des a good play are still in place. De- Zeke's been playing all year. So I'm ex- kind of excited about that. Adds another good running back, uh, complicates the high end a little bit more. And I think the high end is a place to gain an edge this week. So I'm looking forward to that aspect. Um, but obviously the Deshaun Watson news is huge. Uh, I'll have some thoughts on that when we get to quarterback, but, um, but yeah, rest in peace, uh, 2017 NFL season. It was fun while it lasted. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, let's get to quarterback here because um, it's a, there's not a lot, I think, at running back below like 6K, even definitely below 5K. So I think a lot of people are going to be looking to save at running back at quarterback. But unlike last week with Dalton, uh, unlike weeks we saw before with Tyrod, unlike weeks we saw earlier with Hoyer, like there's no uh, easy, cheap quarterback option unless I'm missing something. I mean, there are some that I like, but there's none that I feel strongly about as I have about those guys I previously mentioned. Uh, is there any cheap quarterback that you really like this week? Yeah, I'll bring out the big guns to start the show, uh, get some people to turn us off, I guess. So uh, I'll bring in Chris Raybon's name here because people trust him as well. So this will back me up a little bit. Raybon brought up something interesting this week. Um, so f- before I get to it, two, uh, I think it's fair to say that the two worst quarterbacks in football this year were Brian Hoyer and Deshaun Kaiser. Obviously you could throw a couple other guys into the conversation, but uh, Deshaun Kaiser won some won the Millie maker in week three against the Indianapolis Colts and Brian Hoyer won the Millie maker for Cal Spears in week five against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, one note on that is both of those teams have really bad defenses. So it turned it into a shootout which contrary to what most people think, I I still think Houston has a pretty solid defense. I think they'll do well against Jacoby Brissett this week, but T.Y. Hilton's projected north of 30% ownership. If everyone thinks T.Y. Hilton's having this huge game this week, there's no reason not to look to Tom Savage on the other side. We really know so little about him. Obviously he looked awful in week one, but everyone has looked awful against Jacksonville. So I do think that that's somewhere we can go in tournaments. The higher the buy-in level, the tougher it'll be to pull the trigger on that. But I think Savage is actually a sharp play this week. Some some guy, something I hadn't thought of until I read uh, Raybon bringing up 
just basically how bad the Colts defense has been, even against bad quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, I certainly think Savage is in play. The concern is that I believe he's led, and this was from Rich Rebar, led like 87 drives and only two have resulted in touchdowns uh, while playing for the Texans or something insane like that. Um, or maybe it was 37. But either way, like totally pathetic. The dude is so immobile. Um, he like literally can't move. Uh, he was thrust into the starting role on Thursday afternoon slash Friday. He didn't even have a full week to prepare as a starter, hasn't gotten any starters reps uh, all season. Those would be arguments against, you know, arguments for obviously he's 4,600, like almost free against literally uh, the worst pass defense in the league or one of the worst ones. So I don't hate it. I'm not in love with it. I would rather find a little bit of money, in my opinion, to get to Jared Goff um, without Janoris Jenkins, uh, without Olivier Vernon. I think this Giants defense uh, is a shell of its former self. And the Rams are playing the fastest neutral situation pace in the league. The Rams uh, have viable weaponry in Sammy Watkins, who's had a lot of really tough matchups this year, but finally gets loose now without Janoris Jenkins and also uh, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, uh, Higby, and Gurley out of the backfield too. So coming out of a bye, really healthy Rams team. Uh, I think that Goff has a chance to play well. And yeah, it's $900. And I need that $900, but I feel safer uh, with Goff than Savage. Uh, did you look at Goff? Yeah, and Goff is definitely a, a safer play than Savage. If we're going to talk that, though, finding this little bit of extra money to get up to Goff, I mean, you can find a little bit extra to get up to Alex Smith as well. Uh, the Rams rank 27th in passing play percentage. Goff is basically going to be held under 30 pass attempts every game where it's possible for the Rams to do so. And I think that against this Giants offense, missing Odell Beckham, missing Brandon Marshall, this is a week where they can do that. On the other hand, uh, I mean, this, this over-under on this game took me by surprise. The Rams are second in the NFL in points scored. The Giants have a poor defense. Um, Sean McVay's had two weeks to prepare. This is something that I overlooked last week with, you know, I talked about use the, if you're going to target that Houston Seattle game, use the Houston offense because nobody's on it and the line has risen for both of them. But how about the fact that Bill O'Brien had two weeks to prepare for a very vanilla, straightforward Seattle defense. Um, the Giants are a little more complex in their defensive scheme than the Seahawks, but McVay knows them well from his time with the Redskins. He's had two weeks to prepare. I think that the Rams are going to do really well in this spot. So my only concern is the volume. I don't think we can bank on more than 28 pass attempts. Maybe he gets there, but more than likely that's about where Goff lands. So I think his ceiling is capped with that, but I think that 14 to 18 points is a fair expectation. Uh, I just think he'll have a hard time getting one of those 25, 29-point games out of this. Uh, I think a popular play in the 5K range that a lot of people are going to be on is Jameis Winston. Um, I think that the shoulder has bothered him significantly over the last few weeks. He says it's better uh, limited Wednesday, limited Thursday, full practice on Friday for the second straight week. So I, I do have some concerns about the shoulder. I also have concerns that, I mean, this Saints defense has the potential to actually overwhelm. And I never thought that I'd say that. Uh, about the Saints, but playing in the Superdome uh, with Marshawn Lattimore, with Cam Jordan, two of the best players in the NFL, regardless of position, uh, I feel like it has a chance to overwhelm. Uh, does Jameis concern you at all at 5,800? He does concern me. I also think about the fact that last year, Jameis threw the ball close to or over 50 times, uh, I believe it was two of the first three weeks. And the Bucs lost both those games. And after that, he threw 35 or fewer pass attempts in all but two games the rest of the year. 
Um, so he's been north of 35 pass attempts five straight weeks. They've gone one and four in that stretch. Dirk Cutter's not afraid to pull in the reins on him. He did it last year. The Saints are fourth in pass defense DVOA, 29th against the run. So it would make a lot of sense for the Bucs to take to the ground in this in this matchup. But he's not, you know, this is not a coach that's just proven, okay, we pass the ball a ton, that's what we're gonna do. He's proven he's gonna adjust to what's working best. So it wouldn't surprise me if Jameis ends up with fewer pass attempts. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he had a good game, but we need to take this Saints pass defense seriously. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore is number one in pro football focus ratings. Uh, Ken Crawley has played really well. They're fourth in DVOA in spite of an awful first two games of the year. So I'm taking the Saints pass defense seriously. I'm really not that interested in Jameis myself. Again, if he has a huge game, it's not going to surprise me. I'm a believer in the Bills pass defense too, and he shredded them for 384 yards. But uh, I don't think that that's the likeliest thing to happen in this spot. Uh, I think you're higher on the Houston defense than I am, but I do think Jacoby Brissett uh, is in play. I've talked plenty. No J.J. Watt, no Whitney. Merciless Jonathan Joseph popped up on the injury report today as questionable as well. I think they're missing uh, A.J. Boye a lot also on the perimeters. So I don't really have a problem with Jacoby Brissett in tournaments. Um, I know the Brissett-Hilton stack is probably going to be uh, pretty popular considering how much Hilton's price has dropped. We can talk about him. When we get to wideouts, um, I want to talk about Cam because I know uh, you were on him last week and I ended up playing a bunch of them last week. And I think the wind had a little bit to do with it, but really the Bucks' offensive ineptitude had a lot to do with Cam's bad game, I think. Um, they just, Bucks just could not get anything going and Cam just had no reason. Cam still ran the ball 11 times. Uh, Cam is averaging over nine rushes per game over the last five. And now he gets a spot at home against Atlanta. Um, where I think that Cam has a chance to kind of break out of this funk that he's in. That Chicago game was that really weird weather game against an underrated um, Bears defense. That Eagles game was really tough on a Thursday night against one of the best defenses in the league. So I think this home game against Atlanta is an interesting spot for Cam to bounce back. Uh, are you back on the Cam train this week? I am in tournaments. Um, yeah. You know, Atlanta's 25th in DVOA against the pass. They're 26th in adjusted sack rate. It's a pretty similar setup to what, Cam had last week against Tampa. I agree with you that though the wind was part of it. I think though we just have to acknowledge Cam is an inconsistent player at this point. I thought I had it figured out with, um, you know, with that Cam had played poorly against teams that got up to the quarterback well. Uh, Panthers have that poor offensive line. So I thought that he was basically a lock last week. I did not end up using him in cash, but I spent the whole week trying to find a way to make it up to him in cash with a team that I would feel good about. So um, you know, after dodging that bullet last week, uh, I had a lot of him in tournaments, but thankfully still had a profitable weekend without him in cash. Um, so I'm, I, he's off my cash game list at this point, but I think that, like, I mean, like you said, the, the upside's still there. He's shown it a couple times already this year. He can legitimately get 30 to 35 points. I don't think that there's anything that we can point to in matchups at this point that lead to us saying, okay, this is the week that he's going to go off. Um, uh, Grant Neifer pointed out on my Monday night podcast with him that, uh, Cam has done well against teams that force fewer turnovers. So maybe that's something Atlanta doesn't force a lot of turnovers, but I think we're just grasping at straws outside of it's a good matchup and Cam has upside and he's also inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, for me, the big thing is he's running again and he's running a ton again. And, and yeah, I mean, Atlanta has almost as bad of a pass rush as, as Tampa Bay. Um, I think Dak will be somewhat popular, maybe less popular now that Ezekiel Elliott uh, is on the slate. So what are your thoughts on that? Would you rather play Dak and Dez than Zeke at this point? 
I'm playing Dez on DraftKings no matter what, which we'll get to. Um, I don't think that's a hot take. Uh, yeah, Dak, I mean, look at, look at, we've been targeting him all year around this price. Um, you know, typically he's going to get you 20 to 30 points. Nothing changes. It's, it's the highest projected total on the week. It's one of the best possible matchups for a quarterback. Um, yeah, Ezekiel Elliott's there. Ezekiel Elliott's been there every other game this season as well. So I love Dak. I love Alex Smith this week. I think those are two of the top quarterback plays. Uh, and obviously Drew Brees is the other one. I think that I'll probably be choosing among those three guys on my main team. And then branch, branching out from there in tournaments, I just think that pricing is condensed enough at quarterback that I'd much rather go to these guys who you know find a little bit of extra salary to go to these guys who I just feel a lot better about. Um, Someone like Alex Smith, who, yeah, he has, you know, six 300-yard games in his career coming into this year through 12 seasons, but he has three this year. This is a different offense. It's a different setup. Uh, he's attacking downfield. I think that this game's going to be back and forth. So I'm fine with either of those quarterbacks. Uh, I'm fine with Drew Brees. I'd like to get your thoughts on on Brees for sure. Yeah, uh, certainly like Brees. Averages over four more DK points per game at home versus on the road. The concern you can make with Breeze is that this team has gone far more run heavy um, and been effective on the ground with Ingram and Kamara. But you could also make a case that this Tampa team you want to attack through the air. And if Ingram fumbles again or if uh, Ingram is limited due to fumbles or whatever the case may be, which I kind of don't think he'll be. But uh, regardless, they could go to more Kamara, which would lean to more pass heavy, too. So, yeah, I think Breeze is is perfectly fine. Uh, I think Russ is a smash play again. I, I would consider uh, Russ probably a notch above Breeze for just 300 more. Um, I mean, when this Seattle team's run game is just like the worst in the history of the world, sounds like they're going to try to feature Eddie Lacy this week, which is going to be a disaster. So uh, I expect the whole game to be on Russ once again. And, and you know, now that uh, we're deep in the year and he's, you know, apparently off sex again. I think that uh, I think that he is going to keep performing. So, yeah, I think Russ a cut above Breeze and I think uh, both those guys are cut above Dak for me. But, yeah, I'm having trouble finding the cap space to get to those guys, honestly. Yeah. So, Breeze, the, you brought up the same concerns I have. I think that his ceiling is what everybody expects. We have to acknowledge his uh, range of outcomes is way broader than it's been in the past. It wouldn't surprise me if Breeze throws for 350 and four touchdowns. Uh, it also wouldn't surprise me if he throws for 280 and two touchdowns. They, they rank 20th in pace of play this year and 21st in passing play percentage after ranking third and fifth last year in those categories. So a lot of that's just because they've had leads and they've been able to turn to the run. But like I said, I think that this Saints pass defense is for real. So I think that they can do the same thing this week. Um, and then, yeah, Russ Russ is the other guy that I've been touring around with on my rosters this week, and I overlooked him when I was mentioning those other three quarterbacks. And, uh, again, I mean, I hate Daryl Bevel. I hate the way he runs this offense. I hate how he waits till the two-minute warning to get aggressive every single week or waits until, you know, a team puts up a couple touchdowns to get aggressive. But, uh, you know, they literally can't run the ball. So um, everything has to go through Russ, and I think that that's, uh, you know, definitely one of the top four plays among those other three guys. All right, I think that's it for on the board plays. What about off the board plays? Anything? Hey, I gave Tom Savage. I mean, that's that's, that's not off the board, board at all. He's gonna, no, he's gonna be he's gonna be like seven percent owned. No way, seven percent owned. Maybe like uh, a DK Millimaker. I'll say like five and a half, six. Oh, that's uh, I'll problem. say three. Okay. You're yeah. Owned. No, I mean that's I, I don't need to go any more off the board than that at quarterback. What about you? 
The only other guy I have somewhat off the board is Matt Ryan. Uh, probably wouldn't pull the trigger there, but he's only 6,200. I mean, that's really cheap. Um, a lot of the sharp, we've seen huge line movement in this game, like uh, open Carolina two and a half in some spots. And now uh, Atlanta is minus one. I mean, moving through dead numbers, not that big a deal, but still there's a lot of sharp money on Atlanta right now. And uh, and yeah, I mean, in those situations, I think you can see Matt Ryan play well, but any thoughts on yeah, him? Yeah, uh, I'll throw in a... Uh note on that too uh the panthers ranked 26th in red zone scoring rate as far as preventing touchdowns in the red zone and that's been the falcons big issue this year now miami ranks 32nd in red zone scoring rate and atlanta couldn't do anything against them so it's not a guarantee that this is where they break out but i do think this is a good spot for it to happen uh like you said tough to pull the trigger on but i do think in tournaments it makes sense let's move to running back where i think it's just dreadful below 5k um if you have anything below 5k speak now or forever hold your peace yeah so i'm going to mention adrian peterson for the people not a guy that i particularly love i don't i'm sure you don't either he's above 5k uh is he i thought he was 58 okay yeah. uh well then we'll yeah, get to he's, peterson he's 58 okay oh so above 5k i'm sorry i thought we were talking about uh below 6k then no nothing below 5k that i like yeah um orleans darkwa is somebody in tournaments because that's how you move the ball in the rams uh the giants have one game all year when a running back a single running back has gotten more than 11 carries so you can't bank on it but i mean it can happen yeah if the ravens take an extreme pass heavy approach um against the titans you can see buck allen play a decent amount uh, Tevin Coleman did out-touch Devontae Freeman last week, 15-13. Devontae Freeman says his shoulder is fine. Uh, I tend to believe him, so I think we'll see a relatively even split again there. But we've seen them go with the hot hand before. Tevin Coleman's 5,700. Um, yeah, in the 5K range, uh, I won't be playing Adrian Peterson for 5,800. But it's certainly a good matchup, as you said. And and uh, they are going to try to feed him a lot with Drew Stanton. Under center, uh, what about the other back in that game? Carlos Hyde is only 5,200. Yeah, so Carlos Hyde has 17 targets the last two weeks, but he has eight catches. So, I mean, it's kind of iffy. Like, I ended up with uh, Kendall Wright last week in cash games with the thinking being the Bears were going to be forced to pass. Well, Kendall Wright got eight targets for 3,500. Like, you take that every time, right? But he got two catches because Trubisky was throwing to him. I kind of think we're looking at the same thing with Hyde. Uh, eight targets sounds awesome for a running back 5,200 these are not turning into high quality targets. So I think it's still iffy. I like Hyde. Tough matchup. Obviously, they're going to be throwing to him. Um, but I, I'm not really certain where I stand on him yet, just because if he's only going to catch four balls, it doesn't make a difference if it's if it's eight or nine targets or not. Um, so I think he's a bit thin for cash. Definitely viable in, in tournaments. Um, two other guys in that price range that a lot of people are probably overlooking are DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry. The Ravens are facing the most running back rush attempts per game in the NFL, the fewest uh, pass attempts per game in the NFL. So that's the way to attack this team. And the Titans are already one of the run heaviest teams. So the Ravens have been facing just under 30 running back carries per game. Um, basically, we're looking at six, probably 16 to 18 carries for DeMarco and around 14 for Derrick Henry. So I don't think either of those are awful plays in that price range. Uh, I know that the Ravens are probably better now with Brandon Williams back, but throwing three or four catches for DeMarco and, and 16 carries, I think that he could pay off at 5,400. Yeah, they'll be very low owned because uh, with DeMarco healthy, nobody really wants to mess with a timeshare. I, I think the ownership will be concentrated pretty heavily in the 6K and up range at running back, starting with 
Lamar Miller, who is 6,200 as a big home favorite, I kind of think his outlook uh, is weakened, not enhanced by the injury to Deshaun Watson. There's no threat of the mobile quarterback. They are more likely to stack the box. Uh, the Colts are against Lamar Miller, who has already struggled with efficiency problems under four yards per carry this year. That said, I do think he will get 16 to 20 touches for 6,200. Um, what's your take on Lamar Miller? Likely ownership, probably around 20%, I would guess. Uh, I think this is recency bias at its finest. If if he hadn't scored last week, I don't think anyone would be talking about him. His price would be around 5,400, and, and this wouldn't be a guy that people would be flocking to. Um, like you said, 16 to 20 touches. I think that that's a fair expectation. I think even if they take a big lead, that's about the range that we're going to see him in. They're not giving him 22 to 25 touches. This isn't a guy that they're just riding with the lead. Um, they have other backs that they like just fine. I know that Foreman took a step back in usage last week, but they got Alfred Blue involved instead. I mean, they're, they're not going to ride Lamar Miller to a 28-30 touch game. I mean, I, that just seems wildly unlikely I think that we're going to see him at about 15 to 18 carries and a couple catches so uh, my take is if you weren't rostering him when he was under 5k there's no need to roster him at, at over 6k I, obviously I get the the home favorite setup is nice but this is just not a guy that the offense flows through I'd much rather find some extra salary to pay up for other guys I probably even like Doug Barton a little bit more I mean you're looking at essentially the same workload for Doug Martin, two to three catches, 18 carries against a worse run defense for a few hundred less and lower ownership. So, I mean, Lamar Miller is not a guy that's catching my eye. I certainly get the arguments for him, but there are a lot of arguments to be made against it as well that people are just not making. Uh, I think that, well, I think one of the big stories of the week we should talk about is the Mark Ingram fumble situation. Fumbled two times last week after the second one was benched for the rest of the game. Wasn't a long portion. Uh, but was benched for the rest of the game. We saw this last year where Mark Ingram fumbled, got benched the very next game. He split work with Tim Hightower, who obviously uh, we don't have a lot of respect for his game. I think the Saints do have a lot of respect for Alvin Kamara's game. That said, they're playing so well. I think they've won five straight now, and uh, Mark Ingram has been such a huge part of that. It's hard for me to see Sean Payton just being like, well, I'm not playing Mark Ingram in this game, you know, or I'm, I'm going to weaken his workload this game. I don't see that happening. I do see if Mark Ingram fumbles in the first quarter, uh, Sean Payton benching him for a long stretch or maybe even the rest of the game because Sean Payton uh, can be a little bit out of his mind at times. So where do you come down on this fumble gate thing? And regardless, I think Alvin Kamara is a pretty good play at 6,300. Yeah, I guess it kind of feels like we're overthinking things. That's another reason I'm concerned to play Alex Collins week in and week out. If this dude fumbles one time, you know that Harbaugh is just going to sit him on the bench and let Buck Allen take over. So it's a concern. I don't think that it's a reason to stay away from him. He's still underpriced for, you know, a guy who's locked into uh, four catches, 20 carries, goal line work. Um, how about this stat? Ingram and Kamara have combined for 14 red zone targets. Michael Thomas has six. I mean, these guys are such a huge part of the offense right now. So I'm on board with both of them. Um, Kamara's price has creeped up to a point where I'm really just not that comfortable paying for him as the 1B when Ingram is just 1300 more. Uh, I do think both of them are really good plays. Um, I certainly like both of them more than Christian McCaffrey, who's in that price range and is getting talked about a lot this week, um, you know, potentially going to be north of 15% owned, which I just don't get 
at all. Uh, I, I certainly like these Saints backs more than anyone else in that price range. Uh, and I'm not too concerned about Ingram. Yeah, on Christian McCaffrey, uh, I do want to play Cam Newton in tournaments. And I think the best stack for, uh, well, maybe not the best stack, but maybe the highest equity stack for uh, Cam Newton is Christian McCaffrey. And it's basically the way that Atlanta plays defense. I mean, gave up the most running back reception in the NFL last year and is among the league leaders again in running back receptions allowed. Calvin Benjamin gone, I think we will see uh, Christian McCaffrey line up even more as a wideout. So um, I get the concern on Christian McCaffrey. He's not going to run the ball a lot to be even using cameras, Cameron Artis Payne, but you could see 10 targets legitimately for Christian McCaffrey against a defense who loves to give it up to running backs in the pass game. No, I mean, I see that. I, I kind of think that the departure of Kelvin is, is, you know, we're overstating things a little bit in these targets. We're losing like five to six targets. So let's give one or two more to McCaffrey. I, I just don't think that I want to pay 6,500 for a guy who's getting like four to eight carries that aren't going anywhere. And you're getting him just for the tar. I mean, James White gets eight to 10 targets as well. And is always under 5k. I just think that McCaffrey is overpriced for what we expect from him. Um, I certainly get the arguments there, but it's not a guy that I'm super interested in. Okay. Uh, let's keep moving up now. Cause I, we have some tough decisions here. The four uh, big backs now, Todd Gurley, 8,100, Leonard Fournette, 8,400, uh, Kareem Hunt, 8,600. And Ezekiel Elliott, 9K, we have a $900 range. Uh, the range of projected points for all of them, I think, is is relatively close. Um, do you have a standout favorite among those four when we consider price? No. I think that Gurley's my favorite, but he doesn't stand out over Zeke and Hunt. Fournette's my clear number four. I still wouldn't hate playing him. Um, the thing is, the way to move the ball in Cincinnati is throwing to the running back. and He's been kind of capped at three to five catches per game, which is great, but not what we can expect potentially from Gurley. Um, Gurley's my favorite because he's the cheapest and he's the one guy who could actually get seven or eight catches. Zeke has had exactly one catch in three straight games. So we've seen that his usage can be higher than that through the air, but his range of outcomes through the air is, is you know pretty broad. Uh, we can only bank on one catch. Um, I love all these guys, uh, particularly Gurley, Hunt, and Zeke. But um, I think it's Gurley first, uh, probably Zeke second, just because Hunt is in that Andy Reid role where he's always going to be capped at around 18 carries, um, whereas Zeke can get 25, 29, 30 carries. I mean, they're, every week they're thinking his suspension is about to start and they're ready to just ride him into the ground. So I think that that's kind of where I'd go is Gurley first, Zeke second, Hunt third. Um, but I would be fine with any order from those three. What, what about you? Yeah, I, I want to get up to Zeke, I think, ideally, but I, I do like Gurley. Uh, on Zeke, he's the only one, I mean, certainly ahead of Hunt and Fournette in terms of usage, right? Like, Ezekiel Elliott plays 90% of the snaps where Hunt and Fournette, I mean, Fournette's losing snaps to Chris Ivory. Um, he's only playing, like, 58% of the snaps on the year. And, and Kareem Hunt, they don't really trust him that much in pass pro. We see... Charkandrick West play a lot. I mean, Kareem Hunt's only playing like 65% of the snaps this year. So I think you get better usage out of Ezekiel Elliott as a um, home favorite in a game that should be really high scoring against uh, a run defense that's been really, really bad. And we know how bad Kansas City's pass defense has been, but their run defense has been atrocious too. So uh, yeah, I, I like Zeke best. Uh, saving 900 to Gurley 
is appetizing. Um, I haven't found a way to play two of these guys yet. Um, I think you can play like Gurley and Ingram together. I think you can make fit, but I don't think you can play like Zeke and Hunt. And if you can, uh, you know, and you find something cheap that I haven't more power to you, but I don't see it as very viable. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously that's optimal as if you can find value that you really like and get um, two of these guys, but I certainly see what you're saying and that's going to be difficult to do this week. Yeah, I think it, um, on Zeke, like 9K is probably a fair price, right? Like you can, nobody, you can't really argue Zeke is underpriced in 9K. It's kind of like the AJ Green argument from last week. You know, you can't say he's underpriced at 8,600. He was a great play and fairly priced. And I think that's the same thing to say uh, with Zeke this week. Maybe you can make a case that Gurley is a little bit underpriced, as you mentioned. His pass game role should be uh, pretty strong. Um, anything else off the board at running back? No, we didn't mention Joe Mixon. I'm interested to see how the addition of Marcel Darius on Jacksonville changes their run defense. But coming in, this is still a 32nd run defense in DVOA and yards allowed per carry. Uh, Mixon's getting all of the work inside the 10-yard line for the Bengals. So, again, we're probably looking at 11, 12, 14 carries just because uh, Marvin Lewis is a dunce and this is how the Bengals are using Mixon. But um, I think he's at least intriguing in tournaments at that $5,100 price. Uh, that's the only guy I think that we really overlooked. Yeah, uh, I'm off Mixon this week. I just think from a micro perspective, sure, it's a great matchup because Jacksonville struggled so bad against the run. But, like, from a big-picture perspective, like, I don't see how this Bengals offensive line is going to handle this Jacksonville defense. Like, they could just be totally overwhelmed. And, and Joe Mixon's averaging, like, 2.9 yards per carry anyways. Like, he doesn't need a situation where his team is completely overwhelmed. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm worried about uh, Mixon in this spot. I probably won't be playing him uh, at all. Um, all right. Let's move to wide receiver. Before we get to kind of some of the cheap plays, I want to get your take on uh, what I guess is emerging as the chalk. I didn't think it was going to be considering how bad he's been four out of the last five weeks. But T.Y. Hilton is down to 4,900, cheapest he's been since 2013. Uh, I think he has a pretty good matchup. I know you kind of disagree, but um, I think he will see eight, nine targets for 4,900. Um, are you thinking about going for a T.Y. Hilton fade? I'm definitely thinking about it. I, I am currently planning to. And here's the thing. The entire weekend uh, will likely hinge on whether or not you play T.Y. Hilton. Uh, I mean, he's 4,900. He's going to be right now. We have him projected at 35% ownership. Um, and you're talking about a guy who's 4,900 and 35% owned who can get 30 points. Um, if he gets 30 points and you don't have him, you're in really tough shape. Uh, if he puts up under 10 points as he has in six out of eight games this year, then you're in great shape fading him because you can get more points per dollar there. Um, I mean, Hilton's, Hilton's matchups have been atrocious. Cincinnati, Jacksonville, Seattle, uh, Patrick Peterson, the Rams. It's been a really tough schedule. And Cleveland and Tennessee were the two teams he went off against who have poor pass defenses. Uh, with that said, Houston has allowed the seventh fewest receptions to wide receivers. Uh, I saw in Evans' matchups article, he brought up, you know, what Paul Richardson and Tyler Lockett did last week. But again, you're just looking at guys who are great in contested catch situations, and Russ was just throwing it deep to them in one on one coverage. I just don't see Brissett being able to do that to Hilton. So uh, I would not at all be surprised if he finishes with six, seven, eight points once again. If he were going to be, 
10% owned, I would have zero interest in him. Uh, the one thing that might pull me toward him, I mean, this guy's probably going to be, what, 60 70% owned in double ups this week. So, yeah, I mean, the entire week kind of hinges on what you do with Hilton. I still don't like him. Uh, I may end up playing him just as a hedge in cash games, but I think he'll probably be a complete fade for me in tournaments, and I won't be surprised if I end up without him in cash games as well. All right, let's talk about a couple guys below him um, that I think are gaining some traction, perhaps. Um, with Pierre Garçon out, we know that the 49ers will start Lord Aldrich Robinson across from Marquise Goodwin with Trent Taylor in the slot. However, I do not know who Patrick Peterson will shadow. I mean, we're, from where I'm sitting, Marquise Goodwin does not deserve Patrick Peterson's respect and you know as much as I love Lord Aldrich I don't think he deserves Patrick Peterson's respect either my initial lean is that he'll just play his side so I'm curious to get your take on that and also we have the CJ Beathard situation like is CJ Beathard the absolute nut low like can we not use any pass catchers with CJ Beathard uh, whatsoever that would be my take I just I can't see a justification for playing Lord Aldrich over a couple of these other guys that we'll touch on that I assume we both like. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, when I broke down this game earlier, I said, you know, if Garcon misses, um, Patrick Peterson could shadow Goodwin, he could shadow Aldrich Robinson, he could stick to his side. I mean, we really don't know. My assumption is he'll stick with Aldrich Robinson because he almost always does shadow and Aldrich Robinson sets up uh, more as the kind of guy that Patrick Peterson would match up against. But, I mean, I'm fine staying off all of these guys. I just don't see it as a good spot, especially with Beathard under center. Uh, let's talk about the Rams receivers, uh, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins. I mean, Sammy Watkins' schedule has been absolutely brutal so far, and maybe that's why he's seen less volume than Robert Woods. But the raw numbers are Robert Woods, like 6.2 targets per game, Sammy Watkins 4.1. Um, who do you like between Woods uh, and Watkins and Cup this week? So Cup has the toughest matchup against Dominique rogers Cromartie in the slot, so I'm not that interested in him. Uh, Robert Woods, his usage doesn't really lend a ton of upside. I guess I'd be fine playing him. Sammy Watkins is one of my favorite tournament plays. You mentioned the matchups. Uh, Washington in week two has allowed the third fewest receptions to wide receivers. Uh, Dallas, who obviously we think of as a, a great team to attack, but they are pretty good against perimeter receivers. Then Seattle, Jacksonville, and Patrick Peterson. Um, it's been a really rough run for Watkins. The usage has been so low that I can't go there in cash games. I can't feel safe about it. I maybe can't even go there in high-dollar tournaments, but I think that Watkins has a shot to be one of the top plays on the slate. Given his talent, given the fact that the Giants have benched Janoris Jenkins this week, just a lot of things line up well for Watkins to post a big game coming off the bye. Uh, quickly at stone minimum range, uh, Albert Wilson is out to Marcus Robinson. Uh, one uh, was one of my favorite plays in the preseason, had a really big game for me uh, one week. So I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for him. This role in Kansas City's offense, however, has been, has been so low usage. Uh, do you have any interest in Demarcus Robinson or the Carolina punts, uh, Russell Shepard and Curtis Samuel? Uh no interest in Russell, Russell Shepard just because it's just slot routes. It's uh, low A dot routes. Curtis Samuel is a wait and see for me. I do think that they could get him into that Ted Ginn role. So if you wanted to roll with him in a low dollar tournament, I'd be fine with it. I don't think I can actually risk serious money on him. Uh, Demarcus Robinson is a guy I completely overlooked till I read uh, Evan's matchups column. I think that's a really sharp play. Uh, I think at 3,200, it's a great 
great play this week. Uh, like you said, I mean, this, this really, he's essentially the fourth pass catcher. He's going to be behind Kelsey, behind Tyree Hill, behind Hunt, but he should still get five, six, seven targets in a likely shootout. So at 3,200, he's not a guy that I can lock in and say, yeah, he can give me 20 points, but I do think he can get, what, eight to 12 points this week. Um, so I like that play quite a bit at 3,200. All right, let's get into this kind of mid-range, kind of the chalky plays in there, which I think will be Devin Funches, which I think will be Des Bryant, which I think to some degree will be Doug Baldwin, Michael Thomas. Um, you said you're locking in Des at 6,400. I agree his price has dropped to the point where you could argue now he is underpriced. This is uh, an awesome matchup for Des. Um, I assume you prefer him significantly to Baldwin and Michael Thomas. Yeah, I mean, Dez is first in the NFL in red zone targets, second in targets inside the 10. He's fourth in percentage share of team air yards. Uh, Kansas City's allowed the third most yards to wide receivers, the most touchdowns to wide receivers. Uh, they only allow about a 53% completion rate because that man coverage with good corners is you know, able to knock away a lot of passes. But when completions are made, it's just tons of upside after the catch. I think this sets up perfectly for Dez. To have a huge game, a worst-case scenario is floor is still around 13, 14 points. He's not going to kill your team, uh, and I think he has serious 30-point upside. So Dez at 6,400 I think is really the most underpriced guy on the slate as far as expectations. So I'm fine locking him in. Uh, I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on Funches and then interested to get your take. Um, eight targets, eight, nine targets is what he's been seeing, right? I mean, so maybe he gets 10, maybe he gets 11. The one thing that makes me like him a little bit more with Kelvin gone is he's been used in this uh, possession receiver role. The dude's six foot five, 236 pounds. So they can use him downfield. I don't think he's going to add more than one or two more targets. He might add more downfield looks. So I'm kind of concerned that maybe his floor is still these seven or eight points he's been getting. Uh, if he gets more downfield looks, then his upside rises quite a bit more. Uh, I don't think he's a lock at 5,400, um, especially in tournaments with, with where ownership is likely to be. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, first of all, Devin Funches, I don't think is very good, right? So that's the first thing right there. Anytime you have a guy as chalk who really isn't very good, that concerns me. Um, I think for cash, he makes sense because he's only 5,400 and he should see, I think I projected him for eight targets, which I know is what he's been seeing. That's somewhat conservative. I think nine uh, is probably realistic. And also you can make a case that now that they've diversified their wide receivers, uh, Funches is their best red zone target. I mean, with Calvin gone, uh, Greg Olson isn't back yet. Now they have, you know, Shepard and Samuel and McCaffrey. Uh, you could say that any jump balls they want to throw at the goal line or whatever will be going to Funches. So uh, I think he's fine. I think he's a pretty good fade for tournaments if you think he'll be, you know, 20, 25% owned, uh, which I think he will be. Um, any thoughts on Sterling Shepard? On my first look, I was like, man, Sterling Shepard is going to see a ton of targets, but Eli just and this offensive line scares me so bad. I don't know if I can pull the trigger. Uh, yeah, I'm in the same boat. Uh, was my first inclination was to just lock in Shepard at 5,200. It's still a tough matchup. Yeah, probably eight to 10 targets. Uh, I mean, we really don't know with Shepard. I don't think he is playable in cash. I think that there's obviously upside in tournaments. We want to talk about eight targets. Deshaun Jackson's seen eight or more in three of his last four games. And Mike Evans will be getting the Marshawn Lattimore treatment. So 
I think Deshaun Jackson is just as viable as these other guys. He has more uh, more air yards than Mike Evans this year. He has one of the deepest A dots in the league. Obviously, a high variance play, but in that price range in tournaments, I think Jackson's a better play than these other guys that people will be flocking to more heavily. All right, let's go back up towards the, the top range here. Um, we haven't seen a blow-up game from Michael Thomas yet this year. We know how bad Tampa is against wide receivers. Um, we know Michael Thomas is hashtag good. This does set up well, I think, for Michael Thomas as long as Drew Brees has to throw it a bunch. Um, Michael Thomas is 7,200. How do you feel about that tag? Yeah, I think that he's – I mean, would you agree that he's one of the highest floor plays on the week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's – Fair to say, I think that his price is very fair for our expectations. I mean, I think he's an excellent play. When you compare him to what I want to do at running back, I still kind of a hard time using him only because, again, six red zone targets on the year, I believe two inside the 10-yard line. He's just not being used the way he was in the past. So I think that his floor is extremely high. His ceiling is as high as it's been you know, in past seasons, this is still a guy who can go off for 100 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, I think his chances of hitting that ceiling are lower than they've been in the past. So I'm totally fine with anybody wanting to play him. I'd be happy if he lands on my team. He's not a guy I'm prioritizing, though. Um, Not a guy I'm moving around salary to make sure I get. Uh, I think the key point on Michael Thomas is with the improvement of the Saints defense lowers the ceiling right because you're not going to see Drew Brees most likely throw for like 450 yards anymore whereas before you know home games for Drew Brees was like well how many is he, how many yards is he gonna get 300 or 400 you know and now it's like well we have concerns how many times is Drew Brees even gonna throw even in the Superdome so I think yeah that, exactly so yeah I think that's the concern there Mike Evans we talked about with Marshawn Lattimore I think a play that people are going to make uh is Julio Jones it's like you know, the clock is at some point going to strike, they feel like, for Julio Jones. He will be shadowed by James Bradbury, who is just okay. I don't think James Bradbury is necessarily a guy we have to avoid. Um, I don't see why this, though, would be a spot for Julio Jones to blow up versus any other spot we've seen this season. We know he's only getting eight targets per game. He's priced as somebody who's getting about eight targets per game at 7,800. Uh, do you see any reasons that this could be a spike week for Julio? Yeah, and if we take out uh, the game in which Mohamed Sanu got hurt, Sanu's averaging 7.6 targets per game. So um, their usage as far as just targets is not that different. They each have seven red zone targets. Uh, Julio is averaging like 34% of the team's air yards while Sanu's at 16%. So they're not the same ceiling, but they're basically the same floor right about now. Uh, No, I don't see any reason why this is the week. I certainly see the temptation, though, that you have a generational talent who's being underused and his price keeps dropping at some point, this dude's going to go off for a monster game. So I would not begrudge anyone wanting to play Julio. Uh, There's nothing in the matchup that leads me to say that this is the week it'll happen. It would not surprise me if it is, but like, listen, matchup doesn't matter with Julio nearly as much as it does with other players, right? It's just the usage is so maddening. So if the usage is there, sure. I expect him to go off, but uh, I can't predict that the usage will be there. Uh, before we get off wide receiver, we need to get your take on the Seattle situation behind Doug Baldwin. A lot of people are going to be chasing those huge gains from Paul Richardson and Tyler Lockett. I think Tyler Lockett's the more talented player. He's seen a little bit more targets lately, but Paul Richardson is on the field more. Paul Richardson has seen more targets inside the 10-yard line. Um, do you have interest in either of them as their prices have come up to 46 and 4,700? 
Um, I know Redskins have been tough on perimeter wide receivers a lot due to Josh Norman. Uh, but do you have any preference or interest in those guys? No and no. Um, maybe I'll come around to them as the week moves along. Seattle's always kind of the last offense that I'm willing to get on just because of um, how much I hate the way that they run their offense. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not in the habit of, of attacking teams, you know, wide, wide receivers against teams that um, allow the third fewest wide receiver catches in the NFL. Uh, I'd be fine with it, but the, those guys don't stand out to me. All right, I'll throw a couple off-the-board plays at you. Corey Davis may not play a full complement of snaps. He has an awful matchup, but this dude is extremely talented. Saw 10 targets in week one before hurting his hamstring. In week two, I think you can also maybe make a case for Mike Wallace down at 3,600, um, is healthy, has a reasonable matchup. Against the Titans, if you think Joe Flacco isn't dead, which Joe Flacco might, quite frankly, be dead, and that would make uh, Mike Wallace an atrocious play. But if not, Mike Wallace, 3,600 is extremely cheap um yeah i think that's about all i have for off the board anything for you off the board maybe ryan grant but that's i just hate ryan grant's game so yeah ryan grant you're looking at the same basically the same targets crowder's been getting except um fewer of them and, and less talent uh i kind of like macklin over mike wallace uh tennessee's 10th in yards allowed per pass attempt now and i know that they're their personnel is not great, but Dick LeBeau seems to always round his defenses into form. He knows how dangerous Mike Wallace is from their time together in Pittsburgh. So I'm, I would lean more toward Macklin there. Corey Davis, yeah, I mean, like you said, the matchup's awful. The matchup was awful for Corey Coleman last year, too, when he went off for two touchdowns against basically the same Ravens defense. So um, the chances of it hitting are incredibly slim, but I guess I wouldn't, like, quit DFS if it happened. Um, I could see Corey Davis – posting a good game I won't be there if it happens yeah uh okay let's move to tight end where I think we have pretty clear-cut chalk uh Jack Doyle uh, gave it to both of us last week I did not have Jack Doyle at all and um cost me a lot um I had some regrets about not being on Jack Doyle I know the matchup was difficult but he was 3,500 getting red zone work and had a legit shot at 10 targets as we saw uh what happened so uh, maybe a mistake there, or probably a mistake there, but is it a mistake to go back to Jack Doyle now uh, at 4,300 against the Texans? And I think he's going to be, you know, in the 20s owned for sure. I mean, I was shocked when we hopped on last week before the show, you said that the slate seemed pretty clear cut to you. And one of the first things you said was play Jack Doyle uh, at tight end. And uh, so I texted you on Sunday, you know, to essentially congratulate you and found out you did not have <laughs> Jack Doyle. So um, I, I got to get your take on it, honestly, because I just have such a hard time on these guys who are, you know, getting catches six yards downfield and are not that good. But again, um, with this many targets, he's seen like basically he's locked in seven targets every game. So how are you viewing him at that price? Yeah, I mean, with the decline of Dante Moncrief, too, who used to be like their red zone go to guy. I mean, that Jack Doyle has assumed that role. Also, um, Jacoby Brissett obviously likes throwing to Jack Doyle, and I think you know that's something you can't really maybe uh, bring up that much in stats outside of targets. But man, I mean, he clearly likes throwing to him. And if you think T.Y. Hilton is is going to get shut down again, if you think Houston will roll coverage towards T.Y. Hilton, then maybe they leave the middle of the field open again for Jack Doyle. I mean, he's still certainly not overpriced at forty three hundred. That's why he's going to be so highly owned. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would like it more if Sean Watson were healthy, because then you're looking at the Texans putting up 
35 or 40 points and the culture is going to be passing. I, I mean, yeah, I'm fine with it. I like Vernon Davis quite a bit too for 200 less. Um, I love Jimmy Graham at only 5k. I think that he's severely underpriced. Washington has been a, a pretty good matchup for quarterbacks and yet tremendous against wide receivers because they've allowed the most yards to tight ends. So I think that that's another good spot. Uh, Jimmy Graham leads the NFL in targets inside the 10 yard line now. And then obviously if you want to pay up even higher than that, Evan Ingram's going to get a ton of targets. Travis Kelsey's in a smash spot. Zach Hertz is in a smash spot. Um, yeah. I mean, so Doyle, I, I don't know. I, that's going to be a tough one for me. I obviously, if he gets nine, 10 targets again, he's way underpriced at 4,300. So I think it's fine to go there. Uh, I don't think he's a guy I'll be starting my rosters with, but uh, he's certainly a guy who will be in the rotation for me as I consider things. Yeah, we should mention Vernon Davis because, I mean, everything is breaking right for him. No Earl Thomas, no Jamison Crowder, no Jordan Reed, no Niles Paul. Like, I think that Vernon Davis will play close to 100% of the snaps uh, in this game. And I think that uh, the Reds will be playing from behind a lot. The concern is four offensive linemen for the Redskins are likely to miss again. Um, will they need Vernon Davis in to block more? Uh, I just don't know who they're going to throw to. You know, they don't trust Pryor. They don't trust Doxson. Um, Ryan Grant is not good. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know what the Redskins game plan in this game is other than just like go out there and get smashed. Yeah. Or dump the ball off to Chris Thompson, who I would love to play, except, you know, at his price, it's really tough to justify that, uh, going there, just saying, well, they're going to throw to him a lot. Uh, and Vernon Davis is getting a lot of his targets pretty far downfield, which they might, might not have time for that to develop. So, yeah, it's, it's tough. I think that the upside is higher than it is on Doyle, but the floor, we'd have to say, is lower. Vernon Davis, uh, it shouldn't shock us if he only sees four or five targets. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's basically what, what we have to look at Vernon Davis as, is a higher variance play, a guy with a lower floor than Doyle, but a higher ceiling, certainly viable in tournaments for that fact. Um, are you hearing anything on Delaney Walker? I mean, is there any chance that, Jonas Smith is is going to get all the work this week. The Delaney yeah, I mean, bone, bone bruise in the right ankle for Delaney Walker sounds like um, he's truly questionable, but this dude always seems to play. So uh, how much is Jonu? I didn't even notice. 3,400. 34? 34. Oh, God. Like, where do they get these prices from? How Aldrick is 4K, Jonu is 34. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, what about, like, total punt? Um, I had some questions about Tyler Higby. We know about the matchup against the Giants. The problem for me is Higby uh, continues to split time with Gerald Everett and doesn't run a lot of routes. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Higby or anybody? Punts, Dixon, I think people might want to punt with. Watson, I don't know. I think that Dixon, we're going to see five targets, and that could creep up to six or seven with Kelvin Benjamin gone. But he's been reliably locked into five targets. Uh, what does that mean? We've seen how low his floor is with five targets. We've also seen that he has some ceiling. So – I don't think he hits his ceiling, but I think that he's a viable punt in tournaments because of what we've seen him do, um, I guess, just once. But we've seen that he can post big yardage. I know that there was a broken play in that game, but he has some more downfield to his game than people think. I think Ben Watson also is a guy that we can look to if we're talking punts in a game where, um, you know, let's say Tennessee is successful running the ball and they take a two-score lead. Baltimore has to pass. I think that Ben Watson is a guy who could get involved Again, he's like seen the average depth of target of like five yards. So upside is not huge, but if you're going to absolutely punt, I'm fine with either of those guys. All right. 
let's move to defense where um, we have been running absolutely pure. Uh, I think a big question a lot of people have now is Tom Savage is starting. We know he's not good. Uh, the Colts are the stone minimum 2K. Uh, the Colts are not a good defense. Can we play the Colts at 2K? I want to hear your take, uh, Mr. Cowboys at 2300. Uh, yeah, so my concern is that we're going to see a run-heavy approach from the, you know, whereas the Cowboys were playing the Redskins, right? And the Redskins, like, never take a run-heavy approach. You know what I mean? Like, I'm looking for teams, um, I'm looking for defenses on, t against playing teams that are extremely pass-heavy. That week, we used the, the Saints against the Lions. You know, like, the Lions um, will skew towards the pass. So I expect the Texans to be extremely run heavy and try to control the football, which wouldn't lead to a lot of chances for Tom Savage to make mistakes. Um, that said, they're 2K. Uh, if you need the savings, I certainly don't hate it. I just don't feel like it's super strong whatsoever. I mean, this is not an aggressive attacking, uh, overly talented defense. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, that's what I was hoping you'd say just because I don't want to have to play the Colts, but um, at the same time, the clear top plays would be the Eagles at 3,300 who are underpriced at 3,300 uh, against Brock Osweiler. And that's an absolute like smash spot right there, but you get the Eagles at 3,300, the Cardinals at 35 and the Jags at 38 are the ones that stand out to me. So the savings down to the Colts is extreme. And if this, if the Colts get a pick six or something, then you're in great shape. Um, you know, I, I use the Seahawks, defense last week against Deshaun, Deshaun Watson, just because the C, uh, the Texans give up so many sacks. So even though the Colts don't have a great pass rush, honestly, the Seahawks had not been racking up sacks before last week. So yeah, you could see a couple sacks. You could see a pick and a pick could turn into a pick six. Um, I won't like it if I get stuck with the Colts, but the savings are very nice. Uh, I definitely think that the Eagles, Cardinals, and Jags are that, in that range that we talk about on this show of what are the defenses that we can basically guarantee eight plus points from, I think all three of them are in that range where they're going to get a few sacks. They're going to get at least one interception. So I'd like to use one of them, but obviously uh, pricing has something to do with it as well. I think Eagles are the clear cut best. This Broncos offensive line has struggled badly, especially, <clears throat> especially on the right sides. And I think the Eagles pass rush is just going to be all over Brock. I mean, short week for the Broncos and, Coming across the country, Eagles are playing with so much momentum right now. I uh, definitely think the Eagles are the best. Uh, you left off the Seahawks. I know they're not the most aggressive defense, but so many offensive line injuries. So, I mean, no Jordan Reed, no Jamison Crowder, um, no Niles Paul, no Trent Williams, uh, no Sean Luavo, no Spencer Long. It's like, uh, I don't know what kind of team the Redskins are taking out there to Seattle, but I do not think it's going to be pretty for them. So uh, I think Seattle is actually – uh, preferred to me over Arizona, despite the presence of Bethard. Um, obviously, always like Jacksonville. I mean, this this Bengals offensive line is really bad. Um, always fine with Jacksonville. They're extremely expensive. Anything below the Eagles, but above the Colts, you like. Denver is the cheapest I've seen them probably since I started playing DFS. I mean, the the Broncos are twenty six hundred. Uh, the Bengals are twenty eight hundred and a very good defense playing uh, Blake Bortles, but we don't expect a lot of pass attempts. From Blake Bortles, the Rams are 3,100 and facing this Giants offensive line, which has struggled um, pretty badly at times. And Eli Manning, who I think is uh, pretty much done. Any of those pique your interest? 
No, I mean, I think that if I'm going to get that close to 3K, I want to go to the Eagles at 3,300, who, like I said, I think are pretty severely underpriced for what we can expect from them. Uh, I think if I'm paying down, you've got to go all the way down to the Colts to really justify it uh, and just say, okay, I'm going to take 2K, plug them in, hope for six to eight points, hope these other defenses don't top 12 to 15 and just roll with that. Yeah, you know, I got a question this week on my podcast. Like, do you feel like defense slash special teams has swayed weeks more often than usual this year? And my answer was yes. I don't have the data to back it up, but it does feel like defense has really swayed things this year more than usual. I don't know if that's just in my head. No, I mean, that seems fair. We've had a lot of 15 to 20 point defenses and a lot of decently owned 15 to 20 point defenses. Yeah. Um, All right, let's move to the stacks. The people need their stacks. Why don't you give either a contrarian or a chalky stack? Uh, I'm going to go contrarian at first, and I'll go Alex Smith to Demarcus Robinson. Uh, If I'm doing that, I'm going to want more pieces in this game than just those two, but I think that that's a great way to save salary in this game and get exposure to some of the points that are going to be scored uh, while being able to pay up for some of the other guys in this game that you want. Yeah, for my contrarian, uh, uh, we both hit on it. Um, I think Jared Goff is set up pretty well here. And I think that Sammy Watkins uh, is somebody people don't want to click because he's been so, so, so bad. And quite frankly, it's hard for me to click him too. But uh, JM brought up all the tough matchups that he's had. I totally agree. Like he has been the guy that has been taken away uh, a lot of weeks. The Giants do not have any perimeter corners this week to take him away. So I think Goff, to Sammy Watkins coming out of the bye, try to get him going from a narrative perspective, I think uh, makes some sense. So I'll go with that for my contrarian. Uh, for conventional, I'll actually, I'm going to throw two out there because either of these are ones I'd be fine with in cash games. One is Breeze to Michael Thomas. I think that's a, a perfectly fine cash game play, very high floor and obviously still has a high ceiling, even if that ceiling is less likely to hit. Uh, and then Dak, Dez, and Zeke getting them all on the same cash game team get exposure to all the points that the Cowboys are going to score. I like that a lot as well. Yeah. I don't know why you're taking two. I mean, you left me with no, none of the chalk stacks left. I was going to say uh, Drew Brees to Michael Thomas. Then I was going to say Dak to Dez. So you just took everything. I think those will be the most owned uh, stacks this week for sure. We'll, we'll share conventional stacks. I apologize. Okay. We'll share. I've ruined your week already. um all right that is going to do it for this episode of the quote-unquote expert quote-unquote square table uh aka the expert round table uh for jm for jerry who is upstairs sleeping but my dog costume from halloween is actually uh back there so for jerry i'm adam for jm good luck everybody in week nine